When I was a child, I desperately wanted to be an archaeologist. I think possibly because I watched Indiana Jones at an impressionable age, and I thought at least part of the role would involve uncovering radios to talk to God in exotic locations while occasionally punching Nazis. I would have also settled for paleontology as a career, which again was the result of a dinosaur obsession and early exposure to Jurassic Park. Tragically, both of these careers were stymied by an average performance in history and abysmal grades in science. Also a total disdain for the hiking that I'd have to do to get to the aforementioned exotic locales. I also hate to be hot. (laughs) I remember going to Chichen Itza as a child, and beyond it being one of the coolest things I've ever seen, the other thing I remember is how humid it was and how miserable that made me. To compensate, I spend a lot of time watching documentaries on various archaeological discoveries. The problem with that is that at some point, TV executives decided that the actual cool discoveries of ancient pottery and farming techniques was not exciting enough for the general public, which means that when you go looking for these things now, you're met with almost wall-to-wall conspiracy theories, which is what happened to me. I wanted to check in on the Mayans see if anything interesting had happened in the last five years or so, especially because the passage of time has meant that archaeologists are actually engaging with indigenous communities on digs and allowing them to guide areas of study. Instead, I got sidetracked by aliens. I'm Alex, this is Pop Culture Boner, the podcast edition, and today I'm thinking about ancient aliens. For those of you not in the know, Ancient Aliens is a show on the History Channel that has been running since 2009 and is currently in its 16th season with no real signs of stopping. The show is based on the ancient astronauts theory, which says that throughout antiquity and prehistoric times, aliens regularly visited Earth in order to introduce humanity to civilization and technology. Essentially, all ancient wonders, including the Sphinx, the Pyramids at Giza, Stonehenge, the Easter Island heads, and pretty much everything the Mayans did, was all down to extraterrestrial influence. This theory was first popularized in 1968 by Swiss author and convicted fraudster (laughs) Eric von Daniken. Von Daniken also frequently appears on the show to provide commentary. Even if you haven't seen the show, if you were online in the mid-2000s, you probably encountered one of the show's producers and regular contributors in meme form. A man with hair standing completely on end, hands gesturing, mid-explanation, half-smug, half-stoned expression on his face, with some large white text over it that says, Aliens, or I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. That's Giorgio A. Sukolos, a former bodybuilding promoter turned conspiracy magazine founder and ancient astronaut theory advocate. From all that information, it's already pretty obvious that ancient aliens is fairly far out there in its interpretation of global history, and that the people behind it have some colourful backstories as people sort of interacting with the world. 
So I thought it'd be interesting to take a bit of a deep dive into the show's content and its creators, as well as some of the responses from archaeologists and academics who have long-standing concerns with this particular brand of pseudoscience. I'm not going to spend a lot of time debunking the theories that are put forward on the show. There's hundreds of hours of YouTube content from everyone from large creators to tiny history channels unpacking why none of these things actually withstand any investigation. Uh, Even the tiniest amount of critical thought or engagement with historical texts really knocks them out of the water. But I do think it's interesting to examine the show in kind of a post-QAnon conspiracy world (laughs) to think about why there is a tendency to disengage with mainstream scientific and critical thought and this desire to kind of push towards the fantastic or the unbelievable. What does ancient aliens' long-running status say about the types of history that we engage with? How do these theories gain so much traction, and do they actually have any real impact on the world? Uh, Let's get into it. Ancient Aliens is pretty entertaining if you watch it knowing that you're not a true believer. It's got beautiful footage of ancient sites, some of which are still in use by local people today, and some really lovely archival footage of archaeological digs. But all of that is intercut with these like cheap CGI renderings of alien craft and images of seemingly innocuous carvings or artifacts which slowly morph into images of little green men or flying saucers, as if to draw a connection between the two objects. And then some guy in like Coke bottle glasses or a cowboy hat with a title like cryptozoologist or investigative journalist and founder of Wake Up Sheeple magazine will appear and say something about how dragons were real and the direct result of alien experimentation on megafauna and how they found a dragon skeleton in China. And then you don't see that guy again for the rest of the episode and no one ever shows you the alleged dragon skeleton. It's objectively sort of pretty silly and probably great if you've been ripping bongs for like four hours and that light paranoia about the government watching you is starting to set in. The format alone definitely makes it hard to internalize any of the information as somehow being truthful, except people definitely do. (laughs) And the guests who come on to provide commentary about the objects in question are as serious as a heart attack about their belief in alien interference. Now, I want to preface this episode by saying I'm not averse to the idea of aliens. The size and scope of the universe and the amount that we don't know about it makes it seem likely. I also think that there's something kind of charmingly optimistic about the way that humans really, really want to interact with aliens. We keep sending out messages with images of Earth and recordings of its ambient noises and our musical contributions There have even been invitations to the opera kind of beamed out into the void. It's so hopeful. (laughs) Cherie Wells-Jensen, who's a linguist, sums it up really nicely. She says that launching these messages into space is just a beautiful, lovely, poetic, brave attempt that really did sum up kind of the best of us, even if it's pointless in terms of actually communicating. I think the most important thing we've ever said is just that we exist. Scientifically, we don't necessarily think that we're alone in the universe, and we're just keen to say hello. 
But do I believe that we've been repeatedly visited by extraterrestrials who wanted to show us how to build pyramids? No. No, I do not. <laughs> For those of you who've never actually watched the show, I'll do a quick rundown of some of its popular theories just to give you a bit of a taste. So megalithic sites attract a lot of attention from ancient astronaut theorists because of their size and the kind of technical precision that was used to construct them. When I say megalithic sites, I'm talking about things like the pyramids at Giza or Machu Picchu in Peru or Baalbek in Lebanon. The ancient astronaut theory of these sites says that there's no possible way that ancient humans could have had the technical skill to quarry the stone needed transport it, cut it with precision, and construct enormous structures that have withstood thousands of years. The ancient astronaut theory also disputes, like, the conventional uses of these particular sites. The accepted convention in relation to the pyramids, for example, is that they're burial structures used to house mummified royalty. Not the case, says a guy with a goatee and a cowboy hat. The Great Pyramid at Giza was used as a radio to communicate with intergalactic visitors and satellites. Teotihuacan in Mexico is an incredible example of an ancient city with its pyramids, Avenue of the Dead, multifamily residential buildings, and well-preserved murals. Not so, says a man with glasses so thick that his eyes appear huge and cartoonish, and a mustache that almost completely obscures his mouth. The presence of mica which is a type of rock that can conduct electricity and withstand huge temperatures on the site, says that the city was an intergalactic launching pad because why else would they need the rock to be there? One of the great things about megalithic structures is that because they're often so huge and prevalent, people have done heaps of research on exactly how they could be put together and why, which is understandable. Human beings at any given moment in history consider themselves to be extraordinarily advanced and certainly more advanced than whoever was there before them. Which means that I can tell you my favorite fact that I found while writing this. I don't know about you, uh, but whenever I thought about the cutting of the stones to build the pyramids at Giza, I just kind of pictured like a bunch of poor slaves kind of chipping away with little pickaxes or whatever. I guess because I never really looked into specifically how the pyramids were built because I was kind of too interested in the details about how you could embalm a body. Anyway, the stones were cut using wood and water. Basically, wood gets really dry in the desert heat, but it expands when it's wet. So if you crack the rock enough to embed wood into it and then soak the wood it'll expand and place pressure on the rock and eventually crack it. From there, you can refine it um, so that it's the precise size that you need, and you can build a pyramid, which I thought was really cool and also extremely human. It shows good knowledge of the environment they were working in and techniques that use that environment to their advantage. Now, ancient astronaut theorists are not only fixated on prehistoric megastructures. They're also interested in connecting ancient religions, rulers, folklore, and mythology with aliens. In some cases, they even go so far as to point to aliens as being responsible for modern doomsday cults like Heaven's Gate or Omu Shinrikyo. 
One episode I thought was interesting pointed to the practice of artificial cranial deformation or the changing of the shape of the skull to elongate it in Egypt and Peru as an example of our ancestors mimicking the appearance of aliens who they saw as gods. Now, there isn't a singular reason as to why people engaged in cranial deformation as a practice. Generally, it's believed that they were used to signify status as part of a group or to represent desirable cultural traits like intelligence or spirituality. There's also some speculation that an elongated head shape was naturally occurring in some family lines, so for example in Egypt. What Ancient Aliens doesn't touch on is that artificial cranial deformation was actually a fairly widespread practice, and the preference for skull shape wasn't just elongated, but rounded or flattened depending on the culture. The earliest written record traces it to 400 BC in Africa, but there's evidence of its appearance across Central Asia, uh, possibly originating with the Huns, Uh, And in the Americas, with the Maya, uh, the Inca, and some First Nations tribes undertaking the practice. Notably, it was also prevalent across many parts of Europe, including Russia, Scandinavia, and the Caucasus, for a variety of reasons, including aesthetics and a belief that the brain could hold some types of thought better with different skull shapes. Headbinding was even practiced in France up until the early 20th century as a way of protecting the heads of peasant babies from damage after birth, with the deformation of the skull considered an unwanted but ultimately necessary side effect of love and care. The obvious omission of the white European examples from the cranial deformation practices in this episode is part of a much wider pattern on ancient aliens. When exploring ancient sites, religious practices, and architectural feats, the show has a fairly centralized focus on sites that would be considered mysterious or foreign to the show's primarily American audiences. It tends to focus almost exclusively on South America, Africa, and Asia. In one episode I watched, they hopped from Ethiopia to India to Lebanon to Saudi Arabia. At each of these sites, it was suggested that the skill and the craftsmanship displayed in the construction of these structures, many of which had deep significance in non-Christian religions, had to have been influenced by extraterrestrials because there was simply no way that ancient man had the capacity to construct these works of art. When discussing Lalibela in Ethiopia, for example, where the churches are kind of carved down into the stone rather than built above, The ancient alien experts imply that there's simply no way that the Ethiopian population at the time could possibly have cut down into the rock with such precision. It would require lasers and electrical tools, and since it was allegedly where the Ark of the Covenant ended up at one point before being moved to another Ethiopian site, there's obviously a lot of additional interest from ancient astronauts' proponents who believe that that particular object holds the key to our interaction with extraterrestrials. This example points to two problems with ancient aliens. Purely from a practical research standpoint, the show tends to take all information as equal, with no differentiation between primary and secondary sources and little to no regard for historical timelines or contexts. 
The churches at Lalibela, according to the local tradition, were constructed during the Zagwe dynasty, which ran throughout the Middle Ages. It was under the guidance of King Lalibela, who reigned in roughly the late 12th century. You want to know what else was happening in the 12th century? The first and second King Henrys, and the first King Richard. The Crusades? And architecturally speaking, a lot of churches. <laughs> what Ancient Aliens is doing here is effectively presenting the churches at Lalibela as some bizarre anomaly that must have been assisted by aliens, while other churches in more familiar European styles built at the same time can escape this scrutiny by omission. Like, just to give you some pop cultural context, any Robin Hood adaptation you've ever seen is set during the Crusades. The king's castles he robs were built during that time period, and lots of the structures that they use for long shots are of actual castles whose construction commenced during that time period. European colonialism and the hoarding of wealth allowed those countries to keep adding to their structures, which is why you see huge castles and churches with a variety of architectural styles. I'm not using this example to try and debunk the logic, but to point out the second problem with ancient aliens, which is that a lot of the time these theories are just used to reinforce the myth of white supremacy. There's a really great TED talk from an archaeologist named Sarah Koenig. In it, she says, what you rarely hear is pseudo-archaeologists claiming that Romans had help building the Colosseum. For pseudo-archaeologists, Europeans could have accomplished their feats on their own, but non-Europeans must have had outside guidance. These lies by omission have really long-lasting impacts on local areas. I'll use Australia as an example. There are large figural paintings in the Kimberley of the Wangina, which in simple terms created the country and gave Indigenous people the guidance to live in the place. They're considered sacred uh, to the Wawara, the Garanyan, and the Wannabal peoples who live in the surrounding areas and care for the site. Eric von Daniken picked up early images of the paintings that were drawn by white colonisers and determined that they were aliens. The theory never really gained much traction locally, uh, when I brought up that I was writing this episode, my parents both went, oh, like that weird guy who thought Aboriginal people came from the moon or spoke to aliens or whatever, like that guy. And then I had to explain that he'd managed to channel that into a 16-season TV show. But these stories remain really deeply hurtful to the locals. Warora woman Leah Mbagi says, A lot of the people that come into the art centre, they ask so many questions. And yes, I suppose there have been UFO sightings in America and all that, but it really just saddens me that they say things about it. It's like people are making fun or they think that we're making things up and it's hurtful for us. When I'm out there, I'm so at home, just looking at the paintings and knowing that our old people used to walk in this area and sit here and knowing that this is what they left for us. It's very special. I think at least part of the reason that these pseudo-archaeological views have been able to perpetuate is because actual archaeology has only very recently started to engage with local Indigenous populations about what they actually would like to see from exploration of their sites, or whether they really want that type of engagement at all. 
So while I think there is a movement in contemporary archaeology towards more ethical practice, archaeology itself has a history of white supremacy. I mean, just take a look at the British Museum for all the real reference you need there. If you ever really want your eyes stapled wide open, I encourage you to take a look at any of the publicly available meeting minutes on the repatriation of human remains from the museum. Here's a quote from the meeting minutes regarding the return of two Torres Strait Islander skulls to their homeland. After taking independent expert advice on the Torres Strait Islanders' claim and considering the claim with great care over a number of meetings, the trustees have decided that in this instance, the evidence was not sufficient for them to agree to the claim, since on the balance of probabilities, it was not clear to them that the process of mortuary disposal of the skulls had been interrupted. Ah, yes because skulls naturally want to be in museums and not in their traditional lands. That's normal mortuary process, you bastards. Anyway, if I'm honest, I think Ancient Aliens has an audience because we like to watch people we consider to be a little bit unhinged earnestly tell us about cryptozoology. But these types of entertainment do have real-world impacts on the people being depicted. What I would encourage you to do, if you are watching Ancient Aliens, is to take 15 minutes after each episode and just look up the actual histories of the sites that they mention. I promise you, they are so much more fascinating than anything that Eric Von Daniken can come up with, and so much more human. Right, well, that's my Aliens episode. <laughs> well, I guess technically my second Aliens episode. Anyway, stay tuned for me to talk about Mothman at some point, I guess. He's real, and he's haunting Richard Gere. Uh, if you have a favourite cryptid, talk to me about it next time you see me at the pub. Peace! Hey everyone, Wesley here. Hooray! We're halfway through the second season, so Alex and I are taking another short break to relax and recuperate. We know how much you've been enjoying this top quality content, and we can't wait to bring you the next batch. In the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at PopCultureBona. Honestly, it's worth it for the episode art alone. Stay safe out there, we'll be back fully vaxxed in mid-July. Peace. I always wanted to say that. Peace.